Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. Today we continue our journey together through the book of Hebrews in this great series called An Anchor for the Soul. Well, today we enter in for the first time to chapter 4. And today we're going to examine verses 1 to 3. And I cannot wait to share with you these special scriptures. There are so many truths that we are going to discover together in this episode. Well, friends, as we begin to unfold these scriptures, I hope that you're following along with us in each of these important sermons in all the sessions of our study through Hebrews. And if you've missed any, get my free mobile app today, Awakened to Grace. You can download it anywhere. Get it today and march through the scriptures with us because I know that the truths that we are discovering will absolutely transform your life. You know how I know that? Because it changes my life. Every week that I have the privilege of preaching God's word, I find myself transformed by the Word of God. So join us today, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Let's go this morning to Hebrews chapter 4. We began a brand new chapter this morning. Although we began a new chapter you should know that it really is one unit of content from chapter 3, verse 12 to chapter 4, verse 12. It repeats some of the same thoughts because the Holy Spirit wants to reinforce such strong, such clear, and such life transformational truths to his people. Therefore, we are going to take our time in just dissecting each verse, each phrase, sometimes each word. Do you know why? Because of all the most wonderful books ever written, of all of the most wonderful authors God has ever placed on this earth, do you know what is the supreme book? Do you know what is the only living book? Do you know who is the greatest author in the universe? It is the Holy Spirit who breathed out the Word of God. Amen? And who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Oh, there is no author like the Holy Spirit. And so each word matters. And each clause of each verse, of each chapter. If you and I owned treasure today, if, if I brought up today just a box Filled with rubies and sapphires, diamonds, emeralds. Do you think I would come up here and go, now, where did my box of jewelry go? Oh, no. Where, now, where did I? Has anybody seen my treasure? Has anybody seen it? Oh, yeah, I threw it in the back of the van. Uh, Sadie, can you go find my treasure for me? Do we treat treasure that way? No, 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 no. Oh, if I had such gems, I would unfold them today. I would carefully handle them today. I would show them to you. 
And I would be careful with it, right? That's how we study the Bible. We study it carefully. We unfold every word. We unpack every phrase. Do you know why? Because what's tucked inside there are the diamonds and the rubies and the emeralds and the sapphires of God's truths. Can we say amen today? So that's what I want to attempt to do. Today, we're only going to be in three verses. I want you to look at them with me. Verse number one. Therefore, there's our Pauline word. That's another reason, as I've stated, why I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It's his favorite transition word used over and over in Hebrews. Therefore, while the promise to enter his rest. Now, isn't that interesting? A promise. What does that mean? To enter God's rest. What does that mean? What is the rest of God? We'll answer that question today. Therefore, while the promise to enter his rest still stands. Now, why is it still an open invitation? What does that mean? Let us, what's it say? Fear. Oh, how interesting is that? But I thought scripture said he's not given us a spirit of fear. I thought we are not supposed to fear. So now the scriptures are telling us to fear? What's that mean? We'll explain it. Let us fear lest any of you seem to fail to reach it. Verse number two. For the good news was preached to us just as to them. You mean the good news, the gospel was preached to the old covenant people? Is that what scripture is saying? That the gospel was preached to the Israelites who crossed the Red Sea, yet failed to enter the promised land? For the good news was preached to to us just as to them, yet it did not benefit them. Why? Because what they heard... They were not united by faith with those who listened. Or I like the way the old King James says, what they heard was not mixed with faith. Ooh, now what does that mean? Verse number three. So we who believe enter God's rest. And we're going to stop there for today. That's plenty to pick apart, isn't it? (laughs) What is the rest of God? Well, throughout all of this chapter, and it is an exquisite chapter in the Bible. Now, remember, it's really one unit from chapter 3, verse 12 to chapter 4, verse 12. It's really covering the same content, okay? Remember, in its original form, there are no chapters or verses. That came centuries later, and thank God for it, because it would be mighty hard to find our place in the scriptures, right? So it's really one unit here, and it's important to understand that. And it's important to see why these things are repeated and reinforced. Now remember, these are (coughs) direct quotes out of Psalm 95. Now why is that important? 
Because what the scriptures are going to introduce to us is the idea of rest. And I think there has been some misinterpretation by many others concerning this. Remember, we've said often, Hebrews is the riddle of the New Testament. Many people are intimidated by Hebrews because of its interpretive challenges. And granted, there are great challenges. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can know and understand the Word of God, right? Well, let me explain to you what, in my view, mean, it means by the rest of God. There's going to be a creation rest that chapter 4 introduces us to. This is when God created the universe, and then on the seventh day, he rested from his activities, the scriptures say. Now, that's important because what that tells us, what that signals to us, is that there has been a rest for humanity made available by God since the founding of the earth. Now, think about that. God intends for you to be at rest today. Amen? Then he's going to go forward with explaining a Canaan rest. Now, where I believe we have failed in our interpretation is many of our old gospel songs. And trust me, nobody loves old gospel songs the way Pastor Chad does. I love all the new stuff, but I love stuff that's made it for centuries and generations. So I love the old stuff, all right? There's something to it. There's, there's, there, there, something has caused it to last for hundreds of years. But there's some that is, in my view, a little off. And I traced this back several years ago, and you can trace it back to where it became popular in the church that the idea that we cross over Jordan means death. And that Canaan is our heaven. That's not what the scripture teaches. Crossing, now, now understand this, and you may want to note this. The Holy Spirit loves metaphors. Okay? There are many in the scriptures. He loves them. And there are many metaphors. For example, Egypt represents the world. It represents bondage to sin. It represents our life prior to Christ. It represents slavery to sin. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, what was promised to them was the rest, the inheritance. And it's interesting that the Hebrew word rest is synonymous. It's a synonym for the word inheritance. Isn't that interesting? And God promised them an inheritance. He promised them the land. He promised them the rest. But when Israel under Joshua, because Joshua did what Moses could not do, when they crossed over Jordan, Moses led them over the Red Sea, but Joshua led them over Jordan. The scriptures say when they came across Jordan, God rolled away the reproach from Egypt. Friends, crossing Jordan is not when you die. Crossing Jordan is when you become born again. And that's when God rolls away the reproach of sin out of your life. Amen? And Canaan does not represent heaven. Canaan was a land filled with enemies. Canaan was a land of warfare. 
When we die and enter heaven, there are no more battles to fight. Praise God. So there is a creation rest that chapter 4 introduces us to. There is a Canaan rest, which is not death. It's victorious Christian living in this life. And it all hinges on this all-important word in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the what? The promise of God still stands. See, what determines whether you live victorious in this life, in this world, is do you lay hold of the promises of God? That's what determines whether you are victorious or defeated. Oh, can someone say amen today? I want you to receive this. You must take hold of the promises of God. It is not enough to hear the word of God. You must be a doer of the word. It is not enough to hear the word of God. You must mix it with what? Verse 2, with faith. And what is faith? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the certainty, the assurance of things, the evidence of things not seen. That's faith. Amen. And that's the promise of God. Oh. So there is a creation rest that we're going to see later in the chapter. There is a Canaan rest, which we're going to see later in the chapter. And see what's so interesting, church. What we're going to see over the next several weeks. See, Joshua led them into Canaan. But according to Psalm 95 and according to Hebrews 4, that was not the ultimate rest that God had in mind. Even though the first generation failed, the last verse of Hebrews chapter 3. So we see because of unbelief, they were unable to enter the land, their inheritance. Even though they, as a people of God, did come into Canaan land and they did enter the rest, it was not the ultimate rest. Do you know why? Now say amen if you're with me right now. Oh, how I love the word of God. So watch what the author does. See, all of chapter 4 is about Christ being better than Joshua. So watch what the author does. In chapter 1, he shows us. Christ is better than the prophets. Through chapters 1 and 2, he shows us Christ is superior to the angels. In chapter 3, the author shows us Christ has more glory than Moses. That would have made the Hebrews gasp. And what the Holy Spirit is doing is systematically he is taking everything in Judaism, everything that was held dear under the old covenant, he's comparing it to Christ and everything just falls away and Christ eclipses it all. Amen. So what Joshua chapter 4 was unable to do. 
What Moses was unable to do, what angels are unable to do, what prophets are unable to, are unable to do, Christ is able. What is the New Testament word for Joshua? Jesus. What do their names mean? Savior. And see, while Joshua led them into the physical Canaan land, Jesus leads us into a rest for the people of God that praise God because of his promises still stand. Now, what is the rest that he leads us into? Well, if it's not the creation rest, which we see in chapter 4, and it's not the Canaan rest of which Joshua led them into, then what is it? It's a salvation rest. Let me ask you a question. Do you at times feel like you need to earn God's approval? Do you at times feel like you're not religious enough? Do you at times feel like you don't quite measure up when it comes to Christianity? When you look at your spiritual life, does it feel like you need to earn something? See, what's happening with these original Hebrew audience, see, I want you to understand the context here. They have been baptized into the church and into the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what that means upon their baptism? That means they have severed ties with Judaism. They're kicked out of the temple. There's no more animal sacrifice for them. There's no more going to the priest for them. They're on their own spiritually. And you know what many of them were beginning to feel like? Many of them were beginning to feel like they were not religious enough. And so they needed to go back to those old ways. They needed to go back to those old habits. Go back to that old lifestyle. And the author says, no, you're going back to shadows. No, take hold of the reality, which is Christ. You and I are in the same potential danger. Some of you never feel good enough. Oh, Holy Spirit, speak to us right now, Spirit of God. Some of you feel so inadequate. You'll feel like you'll never measure up. You feel like you'll never be good enough for God. And somewhere, way deep down inside your soul, you feel like you must always earn with God. You feel like you must always make greater attempts with God. You feel like you're always behind the eight ball with God. No, do you know what the rest that God is speaking of? Do you know what the rest that Hebrews teaches? It is a rest from all religious attempts. It is a rest from trying to merit your own salvation. It is a rest from trying to earn approval from God. It is the rest that Jesus said. Come to me all ye who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you what? Rest. rest. What Joshua could not do, Jesus can do. Amen. It's the salvation rest of God. Therefore, while the promise, oh, lay hold of his promises today. 
to enter his rest. What rest? Stop trying to earn salvation. Stop trying to be good enough for God. Stop trying to gain his approval. Stop trying to go your own way. While that promise to enter his rest still stands. Now that's interesting. Why does it still stand? Because you go back to chapter 3, the last verse, 19. We see then that the Israelites, that first generation, they were unable to enter. Why? Because of unbelief. The door closed for them. Now, we have discussed, can a Christian lose their salvation? Some of you would not agree with my viewpoint. That's the beauty of being a non-denominational church. We're not cookie cutters. How many of you know the, 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 the family of God are not penguins? We don't just waddle in line. You are most free to disagree with me. It doesn't hurt my feelings. <clears throat> but one of the viewpoints I have that Israel, although they failed to obtain the promise, although they failed to truly believe God, although they greatly offended God and they provoked him, as scripture says, he didn't send them back to bondage. The Lord chastens those whom he loves. And anyone that he doesn't chasten is an illegitimate child. They don't belong to the Lord. But if you belong to the Lord, you're going to be disciplined by God. Amen. They failed to enter because of unbelief. Now, when you go from chapter 3, verse 19, that that generation failed, it's even more important when you look at chapter 4, verse 1, the promise still stands for us. The invitation is still there. The opportunity is still there to follow after God, to not let in belief into our heart. And what did we say last week? While unbelief comes from the heart, disobedience comes out of the will. And that's the sure progression. <coughs> when you allow unbelief in your heart, disobedience will begin to follow in your life. Just as with the Israelites. Now, therefore, while the promise to enter his rest still stands. Now this is very interesting. Let us fear. Now I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. The burden of the book of Hebrews is not to rescue sinners from hell. See, you will not be able to interpret properly its many challenges if you miss this perspective. He is not writing to lost people. Neither is he writing to half-saved people. We've covered that. He's writing to who? He identifies them as holy brothers. He identifies them as those who share in a heavenly calling. He identifies as those who share in Christ, partakers of Christ's divine nature. 
as we discussed last week. These are fully born-again individuals. At least 24 times, the author uses pronouns like us and we. He includes himself into this category. Have you visited my online store where you can find books, music, sermon series, and so much more? I hope you'll go there today, awakentograce.com slash store, and keep checking back because our resources that are designed for spiritual growth are always growing. Awakentograce.com slash store.